You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I had not planned to do this, but I want to do this, and uh, so I'm going to. Sometimes you just feel a lot of gratitude in your heart and a lot of thankfulness. I, I get to live this Christian life in the context of a great community, and you're part of this community. I, I love being the pastor of this church. And I love getting to come up here every Sunday. And I think it's obvious that I preach pretty much from where I'm journeying with God in my own life. And to think that I have this privilege of coming up every Sunday and kind of saying, okay, I'm on this journey, we're on this journey together, and here's what God's doing in my heart and saying to me, it's a blessing. But It's more than just doing it with a group of people. Uh, It's doing it with you. I wish I knew all of you better. Annette and I, you know, this past week we were at home one night. Otherwise, we were with people in the church. We love it. That's the way we love to live our lives. But even at that, we don't get to everybody soon enough. And um, I love getting to know you. And I love walking this journey with you. And so this morning, I get again the opportunity. I have again the opportunity to just talk to you about what God has been saying to me. And so, so that's what we'll do. I remember finding a story about a year and a half ago. I want you to see if you remember this story, okay? A brand of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries about a century ago. So what do you think a one-way missionary is? They bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. Instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings in coffins. And as they sailed away, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and everyone they knew, knowing they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the islands in the South Pacific, aware that the headhunters there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. He didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came to us, there was no light. And when he died... There was no darkness. Can you just kind of think with me for a few minutes? When, when you hear that story, what do you think and how do you feel? I wouldn't be surprised if somebody is looking at me going, it feels a little extreme to me, Rick, I'll be honest with you. I mean... You're going to, I know it was a hundred years ago, travel is very different, but I'm going to pack all of my stuff in a coffin because I'm going to die where I'm going. I know I'll never come home again. And even though that they martyred every missionary before me, it's okay because I've already died to myself and it's not about me. It's about trying to do something for Jesus. I mean, honestly, doesn't it seem just a little bit extreme? But see, when I look at Jesus' life, I think he was extremely extreme. 
He didn't really spend a lot of time caring about his own situation. I mean, he even says one time, the birds of the air have a nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere, nowhere to lay his head. You know what he was saying? I don't own anything. I don't have a house. Yeah, but I mean, he was, you know, watching out for his long-term safety, etc. No, I don't think so. They killed him when he was 33 for the cause that he lived for and believed in. And as I read the Gospels, it becomes very evident to me that he has one purpose in his life. And that is to glorify the Father. And that is it. It's not about me, Jesus would say. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my desires. It's not about my wants. It's not what I think is important. It's about the Father and glorifying Him. And that's all that my life is about. I've got one purpose and that's it. And so if He is glorified in my life, good. If He is glorified in my death, I can handle that too. It's all that matters. In fact, He prays this prayer. Father, glorify Your name. So I think our temptation is to kind of take a step back and say, well, okay, that's, that's all well and good. That's his life. He can do what he wants. He can make the choices he wants. He can live however he chooses, right? But then one day he looks at you and he looks at me. And it becomes very personal. And these two words are life-changing. He says, follow me. Become like me. Live like I lived. Do what I did. Follow me. And so we're spending several weeks trying to say, what does it look like? What does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? And so I want to take you to that prayer in John chapter 12, okay? Would you want to open a Bible with me? And go to John chapter 12 and we'll start reading with verse 20. John chapter 12 Begin reading with verse 20, okay? Here's what's going on. Jesus has performed a lot of miracles, but he performs one miracle that is unlike any other. He raises a dead man to life. His name was Lazarus. And because he raised this dead man to life, a lot of people start talking about him and following him. So much so that the Pharisees decide that we should call a meeting of the whole Sanhedrin, the, rule, the Jewish ruling council. And they decide that if people keep following him, that things are going to get so big and so out of hand that it's going to be such an uprising that Rome is going to take away their temple and their nation. So here was the deal. We are under the control of Rome, but Rome has made a deal with us. And they have said, you can have your religion and you can have your temple as long as you don't have uprisings or things don't get crazy. But if they do, we'll put our foot down. And so the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin said... We've got to keep this guy under wraps. And finally they said, if anybody knows of his whereabouts, you should report it and we're going to arrest him. So it's a feast called Passover. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Why? If they're about to arrest him. It's okay with Jesus that they're about to arrest him at this point. And we'll read and understand why in just a moment. As he's coming through Bethany, people do incredible things. They start breaking off palm branches and they're waving them as Jesus rides through town on a young colt. 
Some of them take off their cloaks, their outer garments, and they spread them out on the ground and the colt walks over them. And they start saying all kinds of things like, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some even begin to say, Blessed is the King of Israel. And the Pharisees shook their head and says, What is going on? The whole world is going after him. They didn't know how true their statement was. And so it's at that moment that Jesus says, or that John says, Now there were some Greeks, verse 20, among those who went up to worship at the festival, Passover. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Man. Anybody in the room who can't relate to that? I, I, I just want to see Jesus. Is there any way that you could take me to where Jesus is? Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And so Jesus replies. You would think in a moment that he didn't hear them. But we learn that he really did. But he says this. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. These were huge words for Jewish people. This was like the best thing Jesus could have ever said. They were elated at the first line, but troubled by the next lines. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains one single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And of course, Jesus is talking about his own death and our death to self. Then Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And, and what shall I say? Um, Father, save me from this hour? No, it, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, even if it costs me my life. That's what I want. Father, you be glorified through my life. And then this voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said the voice was for your benefit. It wasn't for mine. And so this is God's word for us, okay? So here's what we've been doing. We've been talking about the fact that we want to become a church that makes every effort. Because of my relationship with Christ, I will go to any extreme. I will go to any length. I will make every effort to connect other people to Jesus. That's who I want to be. That's who I want us as a church to be. So together... We can become like Christ in our relationship with the Father, in our relationships with one another, and in our relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And so today we're talking about becoming like Jesus in our relationship with the Father, okay? So I'm at home uh, the other night, and uh, it's late, I'm tired, I just want to sit down and just kind of get still and sleepy. And uh, Annette makes fun of me because she says, you turn on the television, but I don't know why you do because in five minutes you are sound asleep in your chair, just out. So I turn on the television, I'm kind of flipping some channels, and I get over into some of these religious channels, and there's a 
preacher and on another channel there's another preacher. On another channel there's a, a preacher and he's sitting down talking to this other preacher. And I hear a lot about comfort. But I don't hear anything about dying. So I don't ask you to do this much. But I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to write something down for me. It's a small phrase. Would you do that for me? So would you grab your phone and write it in your phone? Or would you uh, grab a piece of paper or something like that and write it down? And if you don't want to write it down, I will still love you. And if you get sick and go to the hospital, I will still come and see you and pray for you. So I won't be mad at you. If you don't want to write it down, you don't have to. But if you'll write it down, I think it'd be really good. Just a very short phrase. And this is what I want you to write down, okay? Only by death comes life. That's the essence of what Jesus is saying. Only by death comes life. So you're, you're talking about a person maybe growing. I'm talking about everybody who has ever been born in this world. It's only when we die to our own dreams, desires, wishes. And we say yes to what God wants for our life. That we find life. And it's across the board to every person who has ever been created by God. Only by death comes life. So, let me take a minute and think with you, okay? There were some Greeks who came to the Passover festival. It's John's way of saying they're Gentiles, they're not Jews. But they feared God. And it wasn't unusual for the Jews to say, well, you guys can come to the festival. Now, you can't come all the way in the temple. You can come only to the court of the Gentiles. But you can participate. We know that you fear God as we do. And so they came with this request. We would like to see Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew come to Jesus and they tell him there's some Greeks here and they would love to meet you. And, and Jesus is interesting because you expect him to say, well, tell them to come on. Bring them to me. I, w- I would love to meet them. But he doesn't. He goes into what feels like this contemplative conversation about seeds and plants and death and life and servants following their masters. It's kind of unique in a way. And really it's not until we get to verse 32 that we realize, oh, he is responding to the fact that these Greek wants to see him because he says in verse 32, when I am lifted up, and he means lifted up like this, I will draw all people to myself. Even Gentiles. And so here's how he starts. It's kind of interesting. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you think back all the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus has said the opposite of that. He says, the hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Hey, hey, come here. Shh. Don't tell anybody because... My hour has not yet come, okay? So keep this under wraps, will you? My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Over and over and over again. And in chapter 12, verse 20, it's the first time that he says something different. And what he says is, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. 
All right, so just do this little brain thing with me. You ready? Go back in the Gospel of John and remember every title that you can think of that was ascribed to Jesus throughout the Gospel of John to this point, okay? So I can think of things like, He is the Word, in the beginning was the Word. Um, in chapter 1, He is the light of the world. I remember John talking about Him being the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Chosen One of God. But Jesus doesn't use any of those titles to refer to Himself. What title does He use? Anybody out there awake this morning? Son of Man. So how many of you would say, just raise your hand really, really high, okay? Rick, I know all about the title, Son of Man, that Jesus assigns to himself. I know where it comes from. I think I can speak pretty intelligently about it. Just raise your hand really high if you think, yeah, I know what that all means, Son of Man stuff. Raise your hand really high. Now, I'm not going to call you up here if you raise your hand, I promise you. You're going, no, no, he calls people up there. I've seen him do it. I'm not raising my hand. I promise you, I will not call you up. Just raise your hand if you know really well what Son of Man is all about. I got a few in the house that says, I know. Okay, come on up. No, I'm teasing. In the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. Daniel has a vision. And he thinks about all these world powers like the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Medes. And he says, they're like wild beasts. They're like savages. They've mistreated Israel so bad. He refers to one of them as a bear, one of them as a lion, one of them as a leopard. And this other one, he just says, he has teeth of iron and ten horns. They're savages. They're world powers. But he says there is another power that is coming. And he is not like a beast. He's more like a man. He's gracious. He is gentle. And God is going to send him because Israel is weak and Israel is small. And we could not overcome on our own. And so God is going to send this Redeemer. And he is full of glory and authority and power. And every nation will bow down and worship him. And his kingdom is never going to end. And for years and years and years, every Jew waited for what Daniel called, he will be called, The Son of Man. The Messiah. So, you've got to imagine with me what is happening to these people. Whoa, what did you just say? The The hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up, exalted, glorified, magnified. Are you telling me that we're going to Jerusalem and you are taking over the temple and you're going to defeat Rome and we are going to be an independent nation again and you're going to make all the wrongs right? Let's have a party. Let's get out the wine. Let's start dancing before the Lord. This is the best day of our lives. Except you already know that when he said glorified, he really meant crucified, right? Which really means glorified. I grew up in a small Kentucky town. When I came here, I said that so many times. I had a family saying, we count how many times you say small Kentucky town. And so I quit saying small Kentucky town as much. But I did grow up in a small Kentucky town. And the other day I got kind of uh, cutting up with some folks. I said, really, I'm just trying to sound... City fight. I grew up seven miles out of town, actually. I'm just trying to make myself look good and big to say I grew up in a little town. 
But we had gardens, my grandparents especially. And I remember we had this, uh, this kind of plow, and you would push it. It only had one blade. And after the ground was already ready to plant the garden, my grandparents loved gardening. I hung around my grandpa all the time. And you would take this plow and you'd push it through. And they would put sometimes the string down so you make the rows really straight. And it would just create this one little, one little valley, very small, about like that, about that deep. And, and then you would just walk along and you would drop these seeds in that little valley that it created. Okay? And then you would take this garden hoe and you just pull the dirt back over it. And you cover up the seeds. And then God would send rain. And then he would send sun. And one day, my grandpa would say, let's go look at the garden. And you go down... And there would be all these little green things popped up out of the garden. Plants in a row. Whether it was corn or beans or squash or whatever. It was awesome. So, if you took one of those seeds and you said, yeah, I'm not going to plant it. Let's say it's corn or wheat. You just took it home and you just set it up on your desk. I was going to leave that seed right there. Jesus says, yep, that's always going to remain just a single seed. But if you take it out and you put it in the dirt and you cover it up, like bury it, then it's going to produce many seeds. And he says to his disciples, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. You're going to bury me. But many people's lives are going to be touched because you do. Do you remember back uh, in January we went through a series called Good and Beautiful Life? After James Bryan Smith's Good and Beautiful Life. When you get to the back of the book, he suggests that you pray a prayer. The prayer was written by a guy whose name is John Wesley. When we talk about ourselves theologically, we say that we are Wesleyan, meaning that we live under great influence by that man, John Wesley. He lived many years ago, but he was a man who wrote a lot of stuff down. He journaled like crazy. He wrote prayers. He wrote orders of services. He wrote sermons. He wrote daily entries into his journal like crazy in fact he was so methodical that people called him and people who hung around him do you know what they called them Methodist that's where Methodist comes from and so he wrote this prayer and, and I want to put it on the screen and I want to read it to you slowly okay you ready here we go I am no longer my own but yours Put to me what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you. Or laid aside for you. Exalted for you. Or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have 
nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And James Bryan Smith said, what if you and I got up every morning and we held that prayer in front of us and we let those words become ours and that became our prayer. It's not about me. (laughs) It's about glorifying you. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. You want to raise me and exalt me? That's good. If you want me to be brought low, I'm okay with that. You want me to be full? I'll be full. If you want me to be empty, I will be empty. It does not matter to me. It's whatever you want with me, God. My life today is 100% yours. You can do with me whatever you choose. And so you hear the words of Jesus. You hear him saying... So what, what do I pray for, Father? What, what do I, that this hour would pass for me? No, I'm not going to pray that because that's, that's thinking like humans think. That's, that's like being concerned about my own well-being. And I'm not going to do that because I was born for this hour. I came for this hour. So, Father, you be glorified in my life, whether it's in my death or whatever. I don't care. I'm all yours. It's like when he prayed in the garden. Could you let this cup pass from me? No, I'm not going to pray that. Father, okay, not my will, but your will be done. It's not about me, it's about you. What if? What if you you came to a place in your life, and what if I came to a place in my life where instead of praying like this, God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why, why didn't you stop this? Why... You could have done something. You allowed... God, why did you let this happen? What if instead of praying that way, we begin to pray this way? God, how can you be glorified through this tragedy that has come through my life? Wow. How different is that? It's not, God, why are you letting this happen? It's God, how can you be glorified through this? You say, Rick, how do I get to this place in my life where that I say, God, you have veto power. Uh, God, I'm surrendering to you. It's not about what I want. I'm really saying it's about what you want. How do I come to a place that says every second and every penny uh, in my, is, is yours? It's not mine. You, you decide how we spend it. How do I come to a place that I learn to live in reckless abandonment to self like Jesus lived? Because what we're doing is saying, I want to be like Jesus in relationship to the Father. And Jesus says, well, my relationship to the Father is all about glorifying Him. And that's it. It's not about me. And so if you're going to follow me, that's what you would want to do. I, I think the way we get there, I think it's a faith conversation. So one day we had some friends come into town and so what do you what do you have to do here well there's lots of stuff you know we can take eat good food and it was a saturday afternoon and and uh we finally said there's a boathouse down here that we've not been to yet you want to go down there sure we get down there and we see people on the zip line across the river how many of you have done that it's kind of fun so you want to go zip line yeah we'll do that so we we go and they've got his son and his niece with them and so we pay them money and you put on this harness, this apparatus kind of thing, makes you look really beautiful when you put it on. And then you, 
go and they clip you in and you, you know, go up these stairs and all that. And then you finally come to this platform where you are going to zip from. And I get to the platform and there's a young teenage girl there who looks like maybe she's 17. And she is like doing this like crazy. And she's kind of laughing, shaking her head and doing it. And she notices me, but she doesn't stop. And finally she goes, okay, step up here. And so with her phone still in her hand, she's like unhooking me from this other and now hooking me to the line that I'm going to go across the river on, you know. And, and so as she finishes kind of hooking me in, which didn't take much time, she just says, and, you know, and then this little paragraph, she just recites very fast. And then when she finishes, do you have any questions for me? And she's still doing this. And, and I just paused, you know, I just... I wasn't feeling comfortable. I wish she had been more engaged in, you know, than texting with her boyfriend. And so I just said, well, I don't, I don't suppose I have any questions for you. I said, I, am I okay up here? You think everything's connected and attached? She goes, yes. And holding her phone. I, I wanted to say something like, I wish you were more concerned about... Me living a long life and you are texting right now, but. And so she goes, are you ready? I said, if, if you think I'm ready, I'm ready. Sit down and you'll go. Well, there's nothing to sit on, of course. And what she meant was just raise your legs up. And so I did. And I went. I, I didn't have a lot of faith in her. Or her work. I think the way I sound now sounds maybe a lot like us in this conversation with the Father when we start saying stuff like this. God, I, I should surrender my life, I know. I'm, it should be all about glorifying you like, like Jesus. I need to be like Him. And I, and I want to and I should and I'm going to try and I'm, go, I'm going to give it a good shot. I really am. Because I know I should do it. So I want to do what I should do. I'm so sick of guilt, I can't tell you. I'm so sick of trying to motivate people with guilt. Okay, God, I'm, I'm going to do it because Rick's up there saying I should try, so I'll... I, I think sometimes God is saying, I'm not a 16-year-old girl texting my boyfriend, okay? I'm God. You really don't get it, do you? You can trust me. If I tell you something, it's true. And when I say to you, did you hear these words? Anybody who loses their life will find it. I really mean that. This is the key to everybody's life. It's when you no longer hold on so tightly to your own desires and your own wishes and your own wants and your own will. It's when you let it go. That is the key to participating in the kingdom of God and finding life. You can trust me, God is saying. This is really an issue of trust. It's not an issue of anything else. Do you trust God when He says, if you want to find life, then let go of yours. Take off all of the holding on that you're doing and just let me have it. And you're going to find life like you've never found it before. Do you believe God? Is He trustworthy? So... I'm going to be really transparent. It's not always easy to do, but it's not always really hard because I think we're like each other in many ways. We struggle, right? 
So like you, there's not a ton of free time a lot of weeks. And so when I know that there's blocks of free time coming, I get kind of excited and I make plans. And I like to do things sometimes by myself. I, I, I'm very much into being with people, but sometimes I like to maybe go hit a bucket of balls. Sometimes I like to ride a bike. I love to play golf. But there's all these things that I, I kind of like to do, you know, just so, hey, I've got a block of time. Maybe I can do one of my things. And so had a block of time coming up. I've been looking forward to it for a couple of days, and I was going to go spend a couple hours just really on me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if we don't rest some and recreate, recreation is important, I think we will be of no good to anybody, God, or anybody else. But as I was moving toward this time, I began to feel the Lord saying, give it to me. Oh. This is kingdom stuff. Lots of other time for you to do this stuff. I want you to give it to me. I got something I want you to do for somebody. You know, and it wasn't like I stomped off, okay, I'll go, you know, but it was close, you know. (laughs) And so by God's grace, somehow, I said, okay. And it's only by God's grace. Can I tell you? That when I came home, I have never been so alive. And that was in the bathroom, and I'm going in there, and I'm walking on my toes, you know, like, and that, you know, I, this was awesome. I got to tell you what I did, and it was just, it was great, and she's trying to listen, and I'm trying to tell her, and, and I was so alive. You want to live? You want to get beyond just existing? Let it go. You understand the hope that is here? I'm I'm looking at people this morning who are saying to me, Rick, I somehow feel like life ought to be a little better than it is. Some days I'm a little disappointed. I'm looking for something to find fulfillment in or joy or peace or happiness or something. I feel a little cheated some days in my life and I think life ought to be a little more. Do you want a little more? Let go. Don't you think it's ironic that where you find it is when you say, okay, I'm going to quit trying to find my own fulfillment and peace and joy and happiness and all those kinds of things and look for stuff to do for me. And when I let go all of that and I say, okay, God, my day is your day. And then we begin to feel alive. You hear the hope? Well, it's for you. This is our sanctification. Surrendering, emptying ourselves of ourselves. <laughs> Letting there be room for Him to fill us with, our, with His Spirit. Don't you want to live? Okay, right now you're saying, Whoa, He is wound up up there today, isn't He? He is intense. But you know, God's helping me to discover some things and He's letting it happen in my own life and I'm seeing the fact that I can trust Him and that if He says it, it's true. So why don't we stand together, okay? We haven't done this for a few weeks where we've just said, okay, not only, you know, 
Well, we say the altar's open and you can come to pray, but maybe we should say it like this. Maybe some of us should come to pray this morning. You know, Maybe in these last few minutes, God has spoken to you and your response is, I want to I go pray. I really want to do that. And, and let me just be a little more broad than that to say that if you're going through a tough time or your family's going through a tough time and you want to come and pray together, that's good. If one of you or some of you want to be anointed with oil, Andrea will be right over here and we'll have Annette right over here for now and maybe another pastor also. And you can just go to them and, and they'd be glad to pray for you, okay? If you want to be born again, that could happen in your life today. It excites me to think about the fact that it might be today that somebody's life is changed forever by the grace of Jesus. And so you can come and confess your sins and say, I don't want to be just forgiven. I want you to change my heart. I want to be born again. And so God can do anything. And so I want you to feel freedom to come and pray this morning, okay? We're going to sing a great, a great song. I want you to, I want you to listen and contemplate and sing these words. And if you want to come forward, you're welcome. Okay? So let's sing. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a
so I'll leave you with these words, okay? And you're still welcome to come and pray with friends or come and pray. But may the love of God... I, I have been focused this week on trying to gain a deeper understanding of God's love for me. I don't think I have any any chance of fully comprehending this. But may the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.